Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. I'm really excited to have on the show today Mark Hayes, who is the founder of Rocketship, a digital market marketing agency and the co-author of The Growth Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy, a book being published by Insurgent Publishing, which I've heard is the best book publishing company in the world. But uh, yeah, so if you guys are interested, go check that out. But the, by the time this, um, this recording, this, this interview goes live, the book should be out, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to give this over to, uh, to Mark and say, first and foremost, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on In the Trenches. Thanks for having me, Tom, and uh, nice to see an unbiased uh, review of Insurgent Publishing that's, there. That's right, <laughs> totally unbiased. So, okay, so it, that was a super brief bio. You, I have a much longer bio um, of you, but I'm, I really want you to dig into it a little bit, including, as we were talking just offline, a little bit about Rocketship and its rebranding and, and some of the stuff you've been doing in that space. So uh, go ahead and take it from uh, perhaps like wherever you feel comfortable, but I'd like to hear your background, kind of how you got into to doing what you're doing today in the digital marketing space? Yeah, um, I guess the thing is that, you know, at one point I was a, what you'd probably call a suit. You know, I was working for a very large corporate organization here in New Zealand um, as a business development manager. Uh, I was flying around the country. Um, I was probably like, you know, what I would call, you know, um, impartially very, very good at my job. I was doing around about $5 million a year worth of sales. Um, but I reached a point where I just didn't love what I did anymore. Um, I was just over it and I was just looking to move out of that sort of typical corporate sort of environment into something that, you know, I could wake up and be passionate about. And sort of around about that time, one of my friends was saying, well, you know, you know, you've always talked about getting into marketing. Why don't you actually start making that transition? Um, so, you know, I, I started making the transition to being a brand manager and as well as, you know, working as a content strategist for different companies and just started getting exposure um, into the, sort of the digital landscape. Um, so that was, that was that, you know, really, really cool. I learned a huge amount, you know, started blogging, started having to learn how to grow an audience, started learning how to build an email list, um, had to learn how to build a website and, and all these sort of things that you go through. Um, because when you're working for a large company, you don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, you just basically go to like the marketing company and the more the marketing team or the, or the agency you're working with and say, Hey, build me this. Um, so I started making that transition. And then I think it was around about 2013. I was at lunch with a couple of friends and we we're having a chat and the guy that I was with said, okay, have you heard about this thing called growth hacking? And I was like, you know, this is news to me. Um, and he started actually introducing me to this concept called growth hacking. And at that time, I had a look at it and I said, this is awesome. This is exactly what I want to do. And so what I did is I actually, being the young entrepreneur that I was, um, just went out and found an agency that was going to do growth hacking work. And at that time, I think there was only myself um, and two other people globally that had actually started 
growth hacking agencies. And I believe that we were the second right off the bat. Um, and so all of a sudden we started building up this brand or more accurately, I started building up this brand called Growth Devil. Um, and went out there and started blogging, started building content. Um, obviously went on to growthhackers.com and inbound.org, started reaching out to people. And not long after I found it, I actually was approached by another digital agency who wanted to acquire me. Um, and part of that was, you know, we'd got exposure into Wall Street Journal, we've been mentioned in, you know, Wired UK, we've been mentioned in Forbes. Um, based on some of the content that we were producing. Um, so that was quite cool. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, not long after founding, I had this opportunity to basically sell the company and go work for someone else. Um, and that was kind of a... The decision to do that was based on, at the time, I was in a relationship with someone that I'd been in a, a long-term relationship for. And she said, oh, you know what? This would be kind of cool if you actually were able to sell the company and go and work for someone. And, you know, just basically, you know, collect a, collect a salary and, and be able to do what you do. Um, what I did find, though, is around about, I think it was around about three or four months after selling the company, uh, the guys that I had sold it to basically approached me and said, look, you know, we've decided to, uh, to wrap up your position here in the company. And not based on, you know, anything that you've done wrong, but, you know, we've got a board of advisors and, and directors. I suddenly found myself in this position where, whoa, I actually have to go start things from scratch again. And so what happened was here I am, effectively made redundant, and within 24 hours I start hustling, as you do. Um, so what I did is I immediately picked up the phone, started calling around, and within around about 48 hours I had my first two clients. And that was basically right about, I think around, at the time, around about $5,000 a month retainers that I actually managed to get out of those two people. And so my agency was called Tiger Tiger. And what I ended up doing was just out of my bedroom, founding the company and going out there and trying to win business. Um, and at the time it was a, a basically an interesting grind because you're, you're having to start from scratch, didn't have a website, didn't have any content, didn't have anything. I just actually had to go out there and get business and I had to be in what you would call survival mode and started building the company. Um, and then what was quite interesting is here we are just over 18 months, maybe a little bit longer, and I have 10 staff where at six figures, we've got an office, you know, we've moved out of the whole, you know, we, we went from my bedroom to what you would call a shared space where we were actually sharing it with other young innovative companies to actually having a dedicated office. Um, we've built ourselves up to the point where we, you know, we've got really good clients, you know, we've actually got a full-time dedicated creative director, we've got a full-time de dedicated account director, We've got marketing coordinators, we've got copywriters, we've got graphic designers. You know, we've grown from that scrappy little startup to an actual fully functional agency. That's awesome. And so is that a pretty exciting transition for you? It's been the best 18 months of my life. That's awesome. <laughs> but at the same time, it has also been the most frustrating 18 months of my life. <laughs> because, you know, when you're building an agency, 
by yourself and then and getting started there's all these little things that always come along like you know clients don't pay you on time so you know you've got to do a salary run and you're scrambling around to make sure that you know you've got the money coming in you've got to go get insurance and you know like all of a sudden for the first time in your life you actually have to carry professional indemnity insurance um what so type of insurance is that professional indemnity insurance okay um which is basically obviously because um we give advice and, and, and suggestions to client. We now actually have to carry insurance that from the point of view that if we give bad advice and we're, you know, obviously sued that we actually got insurance there to basically help us with court costs and actually defending those allegations. Um, and I probably realized that, you know, it, it will never happen, but I've just heard so many horror stories of you know, situations where, Someone said that basically, no, you didn't. You, you gave us some bad advice, and you know, as a result, we're going to take you to court, and then you need to spend the next two years of your life tied up in a court case. So, yeah, it's it's been interesting for me to like hmm. go through that, um, yeah. find, finding an accountant. Um, and one of the th- funny things is, everyone goes like, "Why can't you just do it yourself?" And I said, "You know what? I'd just rather be doing marketing than actually sitting there crunching numbers." Um, and you know, it's funny because I've, I've applied the same principles of who we are as a brand as a company and, and what our sort of corporate culture is to the people that we're dealing with as far as like our accountants or our, our insurer or anyone that we're dealing with we're, we're looking to pair up with young companies that are in the same boat as us and you know we found a very innovative young accountancy firm called psychic that gets content marketing that gets good web design that gets calls to action and, you know, we immediately said, you know what, you guys have got our business because you're actually doing something different than every other accountancy firm that we've actually encountered. You're actually, you're actually doing the same thing we're doing, but, you know, you're doing it for accountancy. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was cool. And then around about, I think, six weeks ago, we rebranded from Tiger Tiger to Rocket Ship. And that's, that's been an interesting journey because... When you start a company, like well, the way that we got Tiger Tiger is based on a Rudyard Kipling poem, and it's also based on an Alfred Bester story um, called um, Tiger Tiger or the Stars My Destination, which is a sci-fi book. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was just like, you know, all right, uh, be made redundant. I need a name for my business. All right, my favorite poem and my favorite book, Sweet Tiger Tiger. That's the name of the agency. Here we go. And you don't really think about anything more than that. But then 18 months later, you're actually in meetings and they say, well, what does Tiger Tiger mean? You know, what does your brand stand for? You know, where are you guys going? And the other thing is you suddenly find that, you know, if you want the Facebook page or you want a Twitter account or an Instagram handle, and because Tiger Tiger is such a, um, I suppose, I don't want to use the word common, but, you know, a lot of other people have, have, have grabbed those handles. You're in a situation where you can't grab those handles. Um, and so you end up compromising on a lot of them. And so it just it, it led to a situation where we actually sat down as a company and as a team and actually started thinking out, you know, we need a new name mm-hmm. and what are we going to call this? And so we started going through this process of sitting down and actually working out what our kind of mission statement is. Because Google's got a mission statement, which is basically Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And I have got that off the top of my head. <laughs> and so we, we sat down and we were trying to work out what it is that we do. And we, we arrived at two mission statements that we thought for us 
summed up what we do. Um, and then this is the, at the time when we were going through that particular creative stage, which is we are a data-driven consultancy that creates growth for digital companies, or B, we're a scientific marketing consultant that, a consultancy that accelerates growth for digital companies. So we started going through this process of trying to come up with these new names and figuring out, you know, hey, what are we going to call, it, call ourselves? And so we actually started brainstorming all these names around. And some of the names we came up with were like Mad Scientists and Made from Curious and Growth Seal and Just Add Us and, you know, uh, Paper Plane Labs and NoBots. And we're going like, wow, these are some fantastic names. These are awesome. And then you find out that they're taken. <laughs> Every single one. Yeah. You know, we were going around and going like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and they were either used by other agencies or the names are too similar to, to existing brands or they've been trademarked or they've been domain squatted or social handle squatted. And at one point in frustration, I turned around and I said, you know what? You know, if we can't find a name in the next couple of days, I'm renaming the company Super Action Princess um, Power Force because you know what? No one's taken that name and at least we'll goddamn have it. <laughs> um, and we came pretty damn close. And so Until, what, uh, so, so rocket ship, but a bit, I mean, so that was like a, a final desperate attempt or what? Are you, I mean, are you guys proud of it? It's, I mean, I think it sounds like a pretty oh, cool name and it makes sense for a growth hacking agency, right? Yeah, well, absolutely, completely proud of it. Um, what it came as a result is we, we kind of stumbled upon Rocketship and we were playing with different sort of space slash rocket-based names. And so at the time, it sort of it happened that we were on a, a site called Brand Bucket and we saw something that related to rockets and it sort of triggered this almost creative avalanche. And that's sort of how we arrived on it. The thing being is obviously rocket ship with an I is taken. You, you're never going to get that. But we started actually doing a lot of research on deliberate misspellings of names and whether it was actually acceptable within the community. And we found that actually it was that, you know, a lot of companies are deliberately misspelling their names in order to basically not only grab the actual domain names, but also to be able to, to grab the actual social media handles. Mm -hmm. um, and then we started throwing it around the office, you know, is it something that we liked as a, as a company and as a team? And everyone came back and said, yep, we love it. And then the thing is like, okay, what can we do with this brand? You know? And so, of course, going back to that whole thing of scientific marketing and, and solving problems, you know, you've got to go back to NASA in the 1960s. These are guys that were basically told, you need to put a man on the moon. We don't care how you go about doing it. Just freaking put the guy on the moon. And so they had to come up with creative solutions. They had to think outside the box. They actually had to, you know, fail by launching rockets and having them explode. <laughs> and, you know going through all this failure until they actually found a way to actually successfully get someone into the stratosphere and actually get them to the moon. So it, it all tied in with the story. It all tied in with the journey. It tied in with where we wanted to pitch the company. And so as a brand, it just, it resonated with us. And there was also a lot we could do create, you know, from a creative point of view. So at that point, you know, we started going into the design phase and, and, and going, okay, this is where we're going. This is what we're changing the company to. And this is where we're going to be. Um, and of course, also had an added benefit of that, you know, we're obviously publishing a book called The Growth Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I, mm -hmm. I did a sort of look at it from that, going like, wow, this can actually tie in really quite nicely with a book. Um, so yep. for, for slightly selfish reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
So, you know, tell me a little bit about like, what does a digital agency do on a day-to-day basis? What, like if I step into your shoes, what am I doing uh, today or tomorrow or the next day? Um, And then what I want to do is actually kind of get into how you were able to grow from nothing to where you're at, because I think that's always kind of an interesting story, but I'd like to get a sense of what you guys do on a daily basis and kind of what the operation is like now and then kind of backtrack. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a a byline that we're about to start using on our homepage um, probably in the next week or two. And we're going to change it. At the moment, what we do is when, we, when, when you go to our homepage, it says no-nonsense online marketing. And at the time, that was what we actually summed ourselves up as. But we've actually since changed that. Like What we're going to say now is some agencies push services, we solve problems, which is true because what we've been finding more and more when we're dealing with clients is they're not coming to us wanting services. What they're coming to us is, we've got a problem, we want you to solve it. And we don't care how you solve it, just solve it. So it might be that they have an acquisition problem, it might be that they have a revenue problem, it might be that they have a retention problem. Um, But when I'm sitting down with these startups and actually working with them, what we do is we go, what is your overall problem and how do we solve that? I was sitting down with like this really awesome young startup they've created this incredible product but one of the funny things is they've actually stumbled upon this other market that's actually more um, financially viable than their initial market and I was just saying to them okay hang on a second you've created this product here to service this particular vertical but the problem is that vertical you're getting absolutely no you know you're going nowhere with it but this other vertical which you never intended to get into people are using your product for and they're willing to pay you for it and they actually love it so i said oh hang on a second why aren't we actually spinning off this product for that particular vertical it just doesn't make sense to me that you'd actually sit down there and continue to pursue basically from my point of view um something that's just that's not working for you um and they said you know what you're absolutely right you know why aren't we doing this so they're actually looking at spinning off that particular um, product into that into that market. Um, as for day to day, I like to think that you know we basically wake up, solve your problem, and go back to bed because every day is a little bit different. You know what we have is we have clients coming to us going like we need to achieve this, and so we we obviously work on a strategy. That's the first thing that we do with the client in month one, and so we sit down there and we work out this is what we're going to do. This is the strategy that we're going to put forward for the next three months, and this is how we're going to sort of try and achieve these solutions to your problem. So every day we come in and we're doing something different, and it may be that we're sitting down and we're doing A-B testing, and maybe we were sitting down and we're trying to basically create that killer piece of content that's basically going to get you noticed um, it may be uh, an example of we're actually working on a video for one of our clients, um, which is really, really cool. And, you know, they basically want this sort of this really killer video to draw attention to their particular company. So, you know, we're negotiating with Sony for the song rights. We're dealing with Richard Simmons. I'm not too sure if you know, if anyone is old enough to remember, but he was a guy from the 80s that used to teach aerobics. Um, so we're negotiating with him to basically have him, you know, guest star in the actual video for the company. Um, we've obviously had to put together the storyboards and, and everything else. And we're dealing with a video production company in Miami to actually help make this a reality. And then likewise, we then get brought into another company that, that has a piece of um, software that deals with the health industry. 
and we're helping them come up with a social campaign and that's been very, very successful. That's drawn a huge amount of attention to their, their company. They're having people opt into their white papers for the first time in three years. They're having people actually share the white papers out. They're having influencers contact them. So every day is just is different. They're, they're, I don't think I've actually had the same day ever. You know, I come in, the team basically comes together and we work on all these different projects and we actually deliver. And then you go home and, and you continue to work um, sometimes. But, you know, usually from my perspective, I try and make sure that I'm switching off at least by around about 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. And that, you know, one of the things I've had to learn the hard way this last 18 months is that you need that time out from actually the company and, and that time out from the clients. Because um, it's, it's just so easy to be plugged in 24-7. You know, you'll you'll be in a situation where you'll be working to 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, you'll have have three hours sleep and you go to work and you're like, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to actually come up with some great ideas. I'm not going to be able to help you because I'm too tired to do so. Yeah. So I've had to learn the hard way of, you know what? At seven o'clock, shut it off. I switch off. I switch off. I, t- I like, I was actually, I'll give you a good example. Like, um, when I'm with my girlfriend, I turn my phone off completely. It does not go on for the entire time I'm with her. I like that. Um, so she's got my 100% undivided attention. So, you know, it doesn't matter if we're out for dinner, if, if we're out for a walk on the beach. Um, you know, we, we met up last night to go look at a photography exhibit. From the moment I see her, that phone goes off, and it didn't get switched back on till like midnight when I got home. So for a good, you know, seven hours, that phone was off. And the good thing about that, it brings balance to your life. Mm. And... I've also learned that, you know, they do appreciate that, that, you know, you're not sitting there, you know, <laughs> literally going like, hey, uh, just could you just sit here for like five minutes while I go answer this call or, oh, shit, I've got this email that's coming through and I really need to urgently answer it. I've got this thing. I'm like, you know what? No, you know what? They can wait. They can wait. You know, they can wait until basically I can turn that phone back on. Yeah. So, okay. So now here's here's the, the question I have um, for anybody who runs some sort of uh, agency or, 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 or equivalent type model because I find, I find them fascinating in that, um, you know, it, it's, I think a lot of times it kind of starts, you, like you said, you started a one-man operation, then you scaled up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you, I guess, I'm not sure necessarily where to start with this, but I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you approach the this, this scaling up process um, and how do you approach, like, pricing and things like that so it's pretty oh, broad i can but, tell you right now yeah. um, if, if i was speaking to someone today and they said how can i um, get started i said go read a book by a guy called brennan dunn and he's written two books mm-hmm. and one's called w of freelancing right and the second one is called the blueprint um two of the most influential books that i've actually ever read um the other ones would be by dan norris funny enough um, obviously with a seven day startup and the content marketing machine, I can't highly recommend them enough that they are incredible books. Um, just a bit of a disclaimer. I am friends with Dan on, on Facebook, so I am slightly biased, um, <laughs> but I've known Dan back in his informally days. Um, so long before he ever started WP curve when he was mm-hmm. sort of struggling to get out of the, out of the gate. And at the same time I was the, I was still a struggling agency owner trying to get out the gate. Um, what those books did is really taught me about valuing your time and valuing what you charge. And I've actually got an interesting story. I actually have a friend who started an agency at exactly the same time. And we went down two completely different paths. And 
he is still a one-man band now almost two years, three years later, and has never been able to go past charging $50 an hour. He just, he just can't do it. And part of the problem is he targeted um, all the small business owners. He doesn't deal with big business. And as a result of that, he's always got massive cash flow issues because he's always finding that he's always getting paid extremely late because a lot of these small businesses just don't have the money to throw at him. Um, he's in a situation where he's never been able to grow past himself um, and he's never had money to invest into, into finding what channels work for him. Uh, where with me, I started out and I priced myself um, and then read Brennan's book and I've always made sure to be increasing my, my hourly rate um, to a level that I know that one I'm worth and I can justify to people. Um, but the other thing is that I always pitch them two options and say to them, look, you've got, you've got a choice here. You can either basically have us on retainer and here's the retainer agreement and this is what we'll do within the retainer. Um, or alternatively, we're doing hourly, in which case you get billed basically based on the hours that we do. Um, and that's worked really well because we've built a really good solid base of retainers where we know every month that we've got around about $50,000 of retainer income coming in. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you've got all the hourly work. So that again, that goes cool. You know, if we do 75 or a hundred hours on this project at, you know, whatever the rate is that we're charging, because all of my staff members have different hourly rates applied to them based on obviously the salary requirements. Um, so, you know, whatever that may be, we're, we're billing out for that. What happened when I started is I actually did a couple of things. You know, obviously I did some cold calling. That's how I initially got some clients. I made sure that we looked after those those clients that we did and we actually got referrals from them, which actually you know, was good. But at the same time, um, I tried every single thing you could think of to grow the business. You know, I read a lot of Neil Patel stuff on how he actually got started with his agency. And we found some stuff works and some stuff doesn't work. And the thing is, there, there is no hard and fast rule. Just because it works for me doesn't necessarily mean it will work for you. Like I went to meetups and I, I and within New Zealand, I've generally found that meetups you will never get business out of because all the people going there are going simply to either pitch their services or alternatively, they're going there because they're amateurs. You're not going to find someone that's actually got the budget that you want in New Zealand. In the United States, on the other hand, and um, my experience with t talking with people that I know is that you know meetups um, are a great way of actually generating leads in business. What I did find though is I joined a um, a business collective here in New Zealand called the Selective, and it was set up by a person that was a you know ex marketing manager for like a very large company. And what she did is she brought together a whole bunch of creatives and and people that worked in different industries, and she went out and actually would find the leads for us mm -hmm. in exchange for a monthly fee. She'd basically deliver to us like, Hey, here's like a two grand lead. Here's a 30 grand lead. Here's a 40 grand lead. I've already closed it for you. You just need to go and do the work. Um, so initially that was, that was helping us get started and getting some initial cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, we invested in, in content quite heavily. And by invested, I mean that we sat down and started actually writing out blogs and, and making sure that we were marketing them. And that was starting to bring people to the website. Um, so that, that was one of the big things, uh, but it was also being willing to put money down and actually experiment with different things. Like we did a, a thing recently where we created a slide, um, share presentation and we invested around about, you know, two grand into developing it. And it got us over 10,000 views on, you know, SlideShare. It got us a lot of attention. It got people making inquiries. Um, 
we developed a, a playbook, which is a, a which is a document that we send potential leads, and we spent over probably close to five thousand dollars developing that playbook. You know, it, it's an expensive thing to build. Mm-hmm. But what we found is by developing this playbook that says this is how we work, this is you know what we basically do, and this is how we help you get where you want to go. Every time we've sent it to people, they said, you know what, this is awesome. You know, you're exactly the people that we want to work with, and it's actually helped us close sales. Because it's so professional on top of, obviously, would you say that's part, I mean, part of it's going to be the content and what they're saying, okay, this makes sense. But then I think a big piece of that, it sounds like you put the time and effort and money into the design and and, and putting your best foot forward, so to speak. Would you say that's a big part of it? Oh, yeah, huge. But it's not just, it's also the ability to sometimes realize that, um, something doesn't work and even though we've invested a lot of money in it pull the plug and actually move on um you know on our current website we've got a services page where we break down all the services we've got a a case studies you know section we've got case studies and one of the things that came out of recently was we've actually gone and spoken to close to geez probably 500 businesses in the last couple of months and one of the things that came out is they said to us get rid of your services page and get rid of your case studies and you're like, hang on, this is this is counterintuitive. Get, get so rid of your what again? Services page and get rid of your case studies. Okay. And we're like, hang what? You know, this is completely the opposite of what we've always been told. You know, have a services page, have a case studies page. And what they said is, no, no, no. What you're trying to do is by actually having that services page, you're actually locking yourself down to that's all you guys do. What we see you guys when we actually meet you is you do so much more than that. So they said, if you were to actually redo your website from the point of view of what's your value proposition, how do you work and how do you help us, get rid of the services page, make the case studies opt-in instead, make it so that if, if we want the case studies that we actually have to opt into them, uh, as, as opposed to actually just being a page there on the website, then we'd be actually more inclined to do business with you. So we, we went away and said, oh, you know what, these guys are actually right. You know, when we actually sit down there and, and talk about it, um, they're actually on the right track. So one of the things is we're currently redeveloping the website based on the feedback that we've actually received from all these businesses. Um, so it, mm. it's funny, like we're even though we invested all this time and money and effort into, into developing it, we actually sat down there and went, you know what, you know, we've we've done this. It doesn't seem to be working as well as potentially we hoped. So let's go down this path. Let's take this. Let's take this feedback and actually and do it. Um, you know, we've also, funny enough, I'll tell you a really good story about how, we, um, how we've won some clients since our business cards. And everyone thinks business cards are this really old school tool. But what we did is when we had our business cards done, we had them printed on 600 GSM paper. And if you don't know what 600 GSM paper looks like, it's very, very thick. It's almost, not, not quite cardboard, but it's, it's, you can, it's got this almost luxury quality to it. And we had the business cards letter-pressed. So the business cards are quite tactile. You can actually feel the embossing on them. Um, and what we found is when we started handing out the business cards, people were like, oh, oh hang on, this is different from what we've always received. You know, these, these business cards are beautiful. And it became a real talking point. And several times we've walked in and given our business cards and actually one business off the back of that, our business cards look really, really damn good. Um, <laughs> so it's funny, like, you know, just doing little things like that having a really good business card where if someone else is coming in with like, oh, no, we don't do business cards or alternatively they've actually cheaped out on them, um, can actually make an impact. This is interesting. So, okay, so tell me a little bit about then, you know, you, you I think this, this is really fascinating. I wonder how 
how well that applies to to different types of um, agencies or or you know consultancies or or people working in service based industries. The idea of um, kind of removing your services page a little bit or removing your services page, refocusing on just kind of the the benefits what you you provide to the the uh, the customer client, and then also removing the case studies. I love the idea of making that opt in. Um, yep. That made sense to me right off the bat as soon as you, you, as soon as you said it. Mm. Um, but I'm curious. Okay, so let's let's go back to the beginning here. How did you go from just you to now ten employees, office space? Um, tell us a little bit about the hustle in the beginning. Um, what were what were the ways you got traction? What was what was the best way you were able to grow? Um, and give us a little give us an example of or give us an idea of what that growth was like. Yeah, what I find with the business is we go through, it's, it's like that typical growth curve. It's not like a nice, beautiful um, curve that goes like elegantly. It goes in like fits and starts. So what you have is this, this massive growth curve of start, and then all of a sudden, a little bit of a plateau, and then bam, another burst. Then a plateau, then bam, another burst. And that's what it looks like for us. So, you know, we're, we're getting started. It's, it's myself for the first probably, oh, geez. Nine months, almost, yeah, yeah. By myself, just basically, you know, laboring away, building up the income to the point where, you know, I can, I can start affording stuff like, you know, laptops and, you know, inv- investing into, into various things. And it got to the point where I realized that to go to the next stage, to be able to grow the income for the business, I needed to be able to free up my time because I just didn't have any time to go out there and actually find new business. I didn't have any time to go to actual... Um, events and actually you know, pitch my services. I didn't even have, to have time to go to sales meetings. So I kind of did this thing of, you know, I need to hire someone. I need him to come in and, to, and take over some of my responsibilities and, and his needs to be paid a salary. So I made this financial decision of, you know what, I can actually take the financial hit myself and not pay myself as much and just live off what I basically can and sacrificed my sort of lifestyle slash salary in order to basically fund him. And so by making that decision to go like, you know what, I'm going to live off around about $20,000 a year, which is what I did. And instead, I'm going to invest $45,000 into this employee. It suddenly freed up my time that I was actually able to go, right, now I can actually start out going out there and actually writing up these proposals. I can start going out there and actually doing these sales meetings and doing these pitches. Mm -hmm. So that's employee number one. But the other thing is Brennan's book, taught me how to write a proposal. And before I used to do these really big proposals with every single detail that I would do, like this is everything we're going to do for you. And I was just was getting nowhere. And instead, what I learned to do is, why is the person here? You know, what do they want to achieve? How am I going to help them achieve that? And why I'm best for the job? And as soon as I started breaking it down into those four sections, and putting out my proposals along those lines and doing value-based proposals instead of actually looking at the money side of things. And and because if you do it from a money point of view, everyone goes like, well, this guy's like 10 grand cheaper, so we're going to go with him. I would always talk about the value. This is the value that I'm going to bring. Um, I tend to do my proposals from um, an ROI point of view. Like, you know, if you invest this much into what we're going to do, this is typically how much we're going to make you back. So I completely changed my proposals from basically being like a, a cost-based proposal to a value-based proposal. You invest this much with us, we will therefore make this much back for you by actually increasing your sales, your leads, your whatever it may be. 
Um, so as soon as we started doing that, I started being able to close more deals. Um, at the same time, we started blogging, you know, significantly more. And around about, I think it was in uh, March this year, we published a blog post called The Ultimate Guide to Growth Hacking source book. It was actually 10th of March. And it's a 30,000-word blog post. It's a beast of a post. And what happened is we wrote it, we got it out there, we published it, and all of a sudden we went through this massive spike in traffic. You know, people started coming to the website, people started making inquiries, going like, hey, we'd love to work with you. Can you actually put up to get a proposal? And so when I talk about, you know, before those fits and starts of plateaus, we just started having people come to us going, you know what, we want to deal with you. And so this client comes to us and goes, look, I'm going to basically give you 80 grand and we want you to basically go away and actually develop our growth hacking plan. And then funny enough, around about a couple of weeks later, this other person turns up having read the blog post and says, I want to basically put you guys on retainer. I want you to come in and, and help us out. Then another week after that, someone else comes along and says, I want you to come in and actually help my startup. It's in stealth stage, but you know, we really want to hire you guys on and actually help us build this company up. And as we were working with that person, he suddenly recommended us to another company he was involved in, and we picked them up as a client. And then he, involved, he actually then recommended us to another person that he was involved in, and we picked them up as a client. So all of a sudden, we've got all this, all these clients, we've got all this income coming in. So you're in the stage where you have to start recruiting people to actually fulfill what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I hired two key employees um, on top of the, the person that I initially employed. So at that point, there's you know there's uh, four of us in total, and then we start wor- you know working out that even with the four of us, we're still so flat out with all this business that's coming in that we start actually having to hire office juniors to be able to fulfill it. So we we hired a marketing coordinator, and you know that was um, Becky, and then all of a sudden Becky was like going, I'm actually now flat out. So we actually then had to go hire Talina, who was another staff member, and then. We suddenly started finding that, you know, we're hiring these people to fulfill specific roles because we've got all this business coming in. And then one day you wake up and you come into the office and you find you've got 10 people working for you, um, which is a good feeling. But at the same time, you know, you go like, geez, I actually remember this when I was actually running out of my bedroom. But now I have all this income coming in. We're fulfilling contracts. We're fulfilling deliverables. And we've got a team. And the good thing about when you go from being yourself to having a team um, is that you've got this ability to sit down as a team and actually work out how to solve the client's problem. Um, one of the guys that I that hired as a copywriter, he used to work for Nestle as their copywriter. But he's very, very talented and very good at coming up with outside-the-box ideas and campaign ideas. And so when we're actually around the table and we're talking about how we can approach things, he's always the one that always comes up with these absolutely brilliant ideas that you know no one else would have you know, thought of. And there's a really good quote, that I like by Steve Jobs, which is like, I became successful by hiring people that are vast smarter than me, or at least to that effect. And that's the same thing for me, is that I actually hire people that are actually smarter than me to work for me. Um, I don't have any ego around it. Instead, I hire people that are, that are skilled, that they know what they're doing, and they just go out there and come back to me with some brilliant ideas of, right, this is the client, this is what he wants to do, and this is how we're going to solve his problem. And it's just my job now to effectively overall manage them um, to come back with obviously my feedback and, and my knowledge base on like how we can implement it. 
And yeah, that's, that's pretty much how we've sort of grown to this level. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm also working with my account director now on, on basically how we can grow the company to seven figures. You know, we've started developing things like, you know, sales pipelines, you know, um, what's our messaging, how we do our sales pitches. We actually practice our sales pitches now. Um, one of the interesting things we've actually found out is that actually if you, if you go to see someone in person, it actually works really better as a two-man team than necessarily as a one-man team. And that's because what we found is that you got someone to back you up and to, and to basically just sometimes give you that bit of breathing space as you're sort of preparing for that next barrage for the client. Sorry, I just realized I was muted. That's awesome. No, that's, that's good. Yeah, I, no, I was a moment of suspense. Um, the moment of suspense. <laughs> um, no, this is awesome stuff. I'm like, I'm taking notes here. I, I, I'm very fascinated by this, uh, this concept because I find it's um, quite the challenge because you're tackling so many different things. So tell me, and, and then this will probably be like probably my last question and then we can get to, uh, to wrapping up with a few other things. But how do you balance between uh, work that you do uh, for your business and work that you do for clients? Oh, that's uh, Trello. Um, Trello, I love Trello. Um, so I have like a, a Trello board and that Trello board has the client work and it has the internal work in it. And what I've been doing and what I've found has worked really well for me is I come into work in the morning. Um, we obviously do um, catch-ups and, and, you know, sort of whips where we basically go around, you know, what are we working on, what needs to be done. But Trello is my central hub. And what I find with Trello is I actually allocate the work out to the appropriate person. And I said, this is what needs to be done. This is when it needs to be done by. This is the due date. And then I have an employee who acts what you, as what you would pretty much almost call like a scrum master. Um, and that basically her job is to be constantly in Trello, um, making sure that anything I've delegated out is actually being actioned. Mm. Um, and so a lot of my day is spent, you know, if, if I'm not in a meeting or if I'm not actually working on the strategy work, it's actually in Trello and actually managing the staff from Trello and making sure, you know, have we done this? Are we on target? You know, if we're not, you know, do I need to basically get involved in, in some capacity? So it, it, for me, that's how I'll be managing the internal projects versus the external projects. So I, I'm consistently moving between boards like you wouldn't believe. So, you know, I might be in the content marketing board for our own projects and I might be in there for around about 15 minutes looking at what we need to produce. Um, and then I'll sort of shift out of that into a client um, client board, look at what needs to be done. And I've actually got like it set up very, very well now where with, with trailer, we've actually got boards on like, here's our idea bank. Is this, an urgent, you know, what then goes into the urgent, are we working on it? And then it goes from being worked on to a report um, board and then from the report board to done. And all the whole day, like you just see those cards consistently going back and forth and there and things are being done and things are being actioned. So that, that's one of the cool things. So for me, that that's pretty much how I'm sort of managing that sort of internal versus external work. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, there's, there's days where you've got a lot of things due and you just basically have to, to jump in and go like, right, this needs to be done needs, and you need to make sure that this is all action. So, you know, these are the deadlines. Um, one of the things I've had to drill into my guys, you know, over and over and over again is to make sure that they are using trailer. Um, cause I notice sometimes that sometimes someone forgets to update trailer or forgets to message someone on trailer. And it's like, if, if you're doing that, you're breaking the communication down, um, if I was to use an army term, um, I view myself like the as a, as an officer. And I view my team as like the soldiers, and so obviously I've got my NCOs, and then we've actually got the grunts. And so, if you have a failure in communication, that's how you get into trouble. 
that's that's basically when you come under enemy fire and you suddenly find yourself screwed. Um, but if you've got that communication going yep. and everyone knows what they need to do and everyone knows what the objective is that we need to do, then everything works well. It's awesome. I'm obviously a big fan of military uh, terminology. <laughs> So that's good. That's right up my alley. I dig that. And I'm sure the the listeners will too. Um, okay, cool. Well, wow, this went way longer than I expected to. So maybe let's briefly talk about uh, Growth Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy, shamelessly plugging it, and uh, maybe why people should pick it up uh, as soon as it's released. Buy this book now. Um, Perfect. <laughs> so simple messaging. Um, I think, you know, while there have been a lot of sort of free guides and, and, and books published on it, one of the things I sat down to do with the growth hack, the ultimate um, growth hacking source book was actually write a very definitive guide on growth hacking. And, you know, one of the things we've done is we actually sat down there and cataloged a lot of hacks. But not just that, we've actually gone out and got case studies. And some of them are from some phenomenal companies like, you know, um, Zenefits and... Um, you know, obviously, we've, we've talked to the guys over at HubSpot, and you know, we, we've, we've brought together a, a good amount of case studies, a good amount of hacks, and we've approached it from a point of view of, like, you need to be able to, th- this book will actually show you how to implement it. Um, you don't need to be a coder. You don't need to be someone that's a dev. You know, this is something that you guys will be able to do yourselves. And, and that's the benefit to me is that, you know, it's something that I could pretty much hand my mum, not that I would because um, I've got enough stuff to deal with um, <laughs> than, me, than to my mom and to a client. Um, but something that I can basically hand over to someone and say, hey, this is, this is basically what you can do to basically help your company grow. Awesome. I love it. And then for people who are listening, uh, where can they reach out to you um, and possibly even work with Rocketship? Um, I'd say email. Uh, if you were to email me at mark at rocketship.com. And I'm always happy to sort of like, you know, answer emails and, and questions. Awesome. And that is rocket spelled rocket and then ship is SHP, correct? My spell? Correct. Yep. Uh, correct. So rocket ship, uh, scratch the I and then uh, dot com. So Mark. There is, no I, there is no I in team. <laughs> correct. I like that. Oh, that's good. So Mark, thank you so much for being on the call. Uh, I found it enlightening. I know anybody who does any type of freelancing work and to a degree, I think most people do some form of it in one shape or another. And I love this from the vantage point of freelancers, from consultancies, from put with the perspective of building an agency and, and just the idea of building a business. I, I appreciate your um, uh, how transparent you were and how you d- dug into some of these details. Really great stuff. So thank you so much for that. Mm. Um, awesome, mate. Look, thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just head over to tommorcus.com slash podcast, where you'll find the latest broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's the fastest, simplest, easiest way to support my creative work, and it would really mean a lot to me. As always, this is Tom Morcus, and if you're listening to this, you are the resistance.